0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Right, well, I think i 'm starting to see how this thing works. Tim gets to preach on the beauty and the splendor of creation. He does the whole laughter and dance of the Trinity thing, and I get to speak on evil. OK, all right, I, I, I see how it works, but seriously though, whether you 're here or whether you 're downstairs, how are you doing guys down there uh, in the unplugged venue, or maybe you 're really down under like uh, good day mates in Australia. Uh, You know that we've been going through these reasons to believe, but even more so, even more than that, we're exploring the story of God. I I mean, who could really forget last week's message of one God, yet three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, joined in this eternal dance of love and joy. All that, picture that image of God as opposed to the image of God that says, get off my lawn. You know, that kind of a thing here, right? See, it's not only that God is good, it's that He actually dwells in a community of love and joy. And He invites us into this community. It's the reason why the early church actually understood creation as being born from the joyous laughter of the Trinity. It's the heart of the Christian story. But you know, like all good stories, like all true stories, the story of God is also filled with conflict, major conflict. And all you need to do is really glance at any one of the pages that you see in newspapers or periodicals. You know, I got right here the you know Newsweek. You know, over 4,000 American soldiers have died in Iraq already. You see it in the New York Times as well. You open up the New York Times here, and you see that there's a genocide in Darfur going on here. Then you got, of course, the housing crisis bigger than you think. It's all over the place. It's the New York Times Sunday Business Edition? Is the Wall Street Journal here? All sorts of things. Battle for guns going on here, all over the place which i think is the reason why maybe in a recent cross section of adults that was asked in a scientific survey this one question if you were able to ask god one question and were guaranteed a response from him what would that question be do you know what the number one just question that just the number one question that they asked was Why is there pain and suffering in the world? This was the overwhelming response. In other words, if God is so good and loving, and he has this infinite care for each of us, then why is everything seem so broken in the world? Why did my roommate and close friend, 26 years young at the time, why do you actually have to go into the World Trade Center on 9-11? Why did that happen? Why, why did my uncle, who was only in his 40s just a couple months ago, about three, four months ago, why did he have to die and leave behind his wife and five-year-old son? And, and Why did these things happen? You know, Each of us here, everyone here has their own story. And, and though our details may differ, the pain and reality of struggle and hurt, this is all the same. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Tragedy, hurt, and loss, all while a good and all-powerful God watches on? Why does this happen? In the 1950s, there was a man, Charles Templeton. He was actually a Christian evangelist. He actually was close friends with Billy Graham. And uh, he was one day flipping through one of these periodicals. Actually, it was a Life magazine. And... In it, he saw this picture of this African woman just in, just writhing in agony, clutching the corpse of her dead child. And, and something inside of him just snapped at that point. And years later in his book, A Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith, he wrote, A loving God could not possibly be the author of the horrors we have been describing. Horrors that continue every day, have continued since time began, and will continue as long as life exists. It is an inconceivable tale of suffering and death, and because the tale is fact, is in truth the history of the world, it is obvious that there cannot be a loving God. You see... For Templeton, there were there, there was no two ways about it. You can't have both. Either there's a loving God who is all-powerful, and consequently there should be no struggle and no pain, or there is a God, but you have to face the broken realities and conclude, as he did, that though there is this God, he oversees all of this, uh, but he just... Doesn't care. Maybe he does... You know, it's, it's not a big deal for him. And we call all this the, the problem of evil. Uh, the fancy name for this is actually theodicy. The study of how evil can exist in the presence of a good and all-powerful God. And, And it's interesting because we all have different explanations. We all have different theories of why evil exists, right? For some of us, many of us, it might be poor decisions. You heard about that girl in New Jersey. This was a couple of years ago. She was pregnant and she aborted her child in a bathroom stall during her senior prom. This happened in New Jersey. Like, there's a series of poor decisions, right? Maybe we think politics. We saw in that, that video, a lot of people think that it's politics. You know, you got this war, you got the battle for oil, this, this ancient tribal blood feud going on. So all the evil is because of politics. Or maybe it's because of a lack of education. Maybe it's just ignorance, right? That's why we have all these drug addicts and alcoholics and sex trafficking. If, if people would just learn more, if they would just be smarter about things. Or maybe, maybe you actually think it's like about this thing right here maybe it's about religion and we heard that as well right that 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 this apple somehow started it all right but before we get to this we have to understand that the seeds of evil were planted long before we ever arrived on the scene, long before there was an apple. And just as we did last week with the Trinity, we need to go back even before time, pre-time, once upon an eternity to understand the full scope which brings us back then to the Trinity. You see, the the Trinity, the nature of true love itself is to invite others in. So 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 this whole trinitarian circle this this perichoresis that we talked about last week this whole thing of love and joy this is a dance that is invitational it's a relationship that's invitational it's an open-hearted expression of love it's naturally Just like parenthood, it naturally wants to expand its borders. Just like when you get married, you love this person, you naturally want to expand your borders. You want to have children. You want to give birth to these things. God also produced. He also expanded his borders. He created creatures called, what now? Not humans, but angels. I think I heard it over here. Yeah, uh, humans is in Genesis chapter one. That's that's where our story begins. But this this is a God. This is God's story. This is this is pre creation story that we're talking about. See, before you and me, God designed other creatures to share the love and the intimacy with the Trinity, and they were called angels. Angels. Now, now, I, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking of like these, uh, you know, sort of these these cute little babies with wings, right? Maybe some some uh, little arrows, some uh, you know, riding on clouds and stuff. But, but you know that that's that's an unfortunate hallmark version because the Bible actually it, it paints this this wildly different picture. Of these creatures. For instance, did you ever notice that in the Bible, w- whenever an angel bef- uh, appears before a man, what, where is like the common two-word response that the angel always has to throw out there to this person? Do not fear. Be still, you know. Don't worry. Chill out. Relax. In other words, the universal response, the universal human response to angels is what? Oh my gosh, please, please don't hurt me. That, it's fear. It's, they, they fall face down, right? Uh, you see, far from these cute little cherubs, uh, these angels are fearsome creatures. First Chronicles chapter 21 actually talks about this one angel single-handedly wiping out the city. Okay? Uh, the term heavenly hosts" this is actually a military term for a combat brigade. And, and so the question is begged, what kind of a story is God telling us here? I mean, these angels, they, they literally carry coals of fire in their hands as they circle the Trinity in worship. See, the main purpose of angels was to worship God. In, in many ways, they provided the music for the dance of the paracaresis of the Trinity. And, and the awesomeness and grandeur and glory of God is so ginormous that it takes legions of angels to surround the Godhead. I mean, think about this. All these angels surrounding the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and when you think about it, that's such an amazing picture. Before all of creation, before anything that you know, at the heart of the universe was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this beautiful, rhythmic, joyous, happy dance of love that was attended to by these glorious, fearsome creatures called angels. Creatures so magnificent and full of splendor that if you and I were to see one today, we would be strongly tempted to worship it. Hmm. Now, as I said, angels have this military function as well, right? And they're arranged in these brigades or or legions and and there's this host. And, And one angel in particular, above everyone else we're told, was especially beautiful. Chosen by God for special honor, a special privilege. And his name was what? Lucifer, which means light. See, he had this radiance and this glory about him, his, this beauty, this magnificence that, that, was, that was superior to any other of God's creations. As a matter of fact, his story is told in Ezekiel chapter 28. If you would turn with me, in the Old Testament there is page 597. And look here at the prophet Ezekiel as he describes, he gives this description of Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, we're looking at the last part of verse 12. You were the model of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz and emerald, crystal onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day that you were created. Folks, we cannot even imagine the beauty and splendor of Lucifer. We we can't even... It says perfect in beauty. Did you ever stop to think that everything, every, every image that you have of beauty, whether it's a flower, whether it's your spouse, it's, it's somehow flawed. But no, no, no. This Lucifer, perfect in beauty. That's not even mentioning like the heavenly blink. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Lucifer was head of the palace guard, so to speak. He was actually ordained, appointed, this, this special role. In other words, he has full access to the inner circle of God. Now think about this. He's actually privy to conversations between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lucifer, along with all these other angels, were created ultimately to enjoy, worship, embrace, and love the triune God. To reflect the open-hearted, other-directed love of the Trinity that it had for one another. But there's a problem. It's a huge problem. What's that? You can't force love. God's not interested in robots. He wants creatures that reflect His glory and His love and freely choose to embrace them. So, So God creates these angels with free will, which is a huge risk, right? Big time risk. Because as any parent knows, and some of you are parents of teenagers, you know this, despite your best intentions, your offspring actually have the choice to respond to you in love and trust or not. Right? Uh, and and so, there, so there may actually come a time, I hope it doesn't, but there, there may come a time when the child gets so full of him or herself that he declares, I, I don't need you anymore and suddenly the piece is shattered. Right? Which is exactly... What happened in God's home? Heaven. And scripture tells us that Lucifer became so intoxicated. Yeah, I am good looking. Wow. He became so intoxicated with his beauty and privilege and position, he rebelled against his creator. Look with me back at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Isaiah 14 gives this inside account on, on what was going on in the, in the heart of Lucifer here. It says, Isaiah 14 verse 13, it's a, chapter 14, 13 says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Five times Lucifer says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I... I." Will, which is so different than the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, saying, Oh, Father, your will be done. Your will, your will. Because remember, the nature of perfect love, Trinitarian love, is focus on the other. It's to Seek the glory and to love and to serve the other person in the relationship. But Lucifer is having none of that. No way. No. I will ascend. I will raise. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend above. I will make myself. In other words, I don't need you. I will be my own God. It's an ugly thing. When a child sticks a knife in the parent's back, a child who's had it all, raised in privilege, in in perfect love, but just throws it back in the face of the one who loved and trusted. See, that's the essence of sin. When we decide, when when we decide we would do, I would do a better job being Lord of my life than God. Right? When, When we want to be the center of the dance rather than a dance partner. See, Lucifer rebelled, and the peace, the perfect love of God that was being expressed, was shattered in an instant. And God does not tolerate that because the rule of his house is love, perfect love. And so there was a war. A a war in heaven, we're told. Keep a finger here in Ezekiel and turn with me to the last chapter of the Bible, page 855, Revelation, chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. And think about this concept. There's a war going on in heaven, okay? Verse 7 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Folks, we can't even imagine what this was possibly like. Scripture is telling us that before all of creation, before the earth, there was this cosmic battle in heaven. Michael and his angels fought Lucifer and his crew and this ancient, what? This ancient serpent was hurled down to where? to the earth, and his angels with him. All this, all, all of this before Genesis 1 even opens. Now, Now turn back with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. You got your finger there, right? Middle of verse 16. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you. Question. What did God feel like when this happened? Right? Uh, have you ever been betrayed i mean really betrayed by someone you've given everything to all your love? <laughs> These were dark times, and you know what it didn't even end there because l- let's just say let's just pretend here for a moment that 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 one of you had something really against me i i, I don't know for what my hair's too big or what I, whatever. You have something against me, and, and like you, you called me out, and like, and like, next thing you know, we're like fighting downstairs in like the Hyatt parking lot. Okay, I know this is really weird. We're talking about devil today, we're talking about pastors fighting in the parking lots. Okay, but let's just say that somehow, let's just pretend, go along with me here that I kind of, you know, I, I roughed you up a little bit somehow, right? And uh, and, and now you're you're bent on payback. You're going to get me back. Okay, you're you're mad. And uh, if you really wanted to hurt me, uh, how would you do it? Knowing past experience that that you, that you couldn't really whip me, what would you do? Right, you could go after something I own. Right, maybe you would. I don't know, key my car. Please don't. Right, or or if not something, right, maybe maybe you would actually go after someone, someone that I love. See, if you truly want to wound the heart of a father, who do you go for? It's children. Exactly. This is this is actually pretty difficult to talk about, but but it's where our story actually begins. See, we think that it starts with an apple. We think that it starts in the garden in Genesis chapters one through one, two, and three. But but it doesn't. The origins of evil are much more ancient than that. It, it's just like love. Love itself has a much longer history, and so does evil. Uh, uh, the origins of evil, uh, they, they, they go back way before the fruit and temptation. There was an actual war in heaven, a war where perfect love defeated perfect evil. Ding! End of ring, uh, round one. But then there's a round two, right? Ding, ding! And perfect evil is now on earth. It enters the world. So question, if the Garden of... Have you ever thought about this? If the Garden of Eden was so perfect, have you ever wondered why on earth, literally, there was a talking serpent there? Does does that make any sense? See, long before we fell, Lucifer fell. And all pain, misery, sin, death, and destruction traces its roots back to that original conflict, that original war in heaven. See, when we envy someone, for instance, someone is more gifted, more beautiful, more talented, smarter than us, our bent is actually towards jealousy. But after a while, if we can't have what they have, whatever it is that we want from them, we actually set our sights a little bit lower. Uh, We set it on their destruction. And there's this incredible moment in the movie Amadeus that captures this whole idea very, very beautifully, actually. As most of you know, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a child prodigy. I mean, this was like a a musical genius, the likes of which we haven't seen since, right? But in the movie, he has this insanely jealous, but talented, but he's insanely jealous, this, this rival court composer named Salieri, right? And when Salieri realizes that, you know what, I just, I, I just, I will never match up, I will never have what Mozart has. When, when Salieri realizes that Mozart's gift dwarfs his own, Salieri declares war. let stop was actually it was beyond belief these were first and only drafts of music but they show no corrections of any kind not one he had simply written down music already finished in his head page after page of it as if he were just taking dictation. And music. Finished as no music is ever finished. infantile boy, and give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust. unfair, there. Unkind. I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I am able. I will ruin your incarnation. I will ruin your incarnation. See, when Lucifer was cast out from heaven, he lost his spot as God's most glorious creature. Oh, but he found a new purpose, right? Instead of making music now for the Trinity, he declared war against God and now he set the crosshairs on who? Who did he set his sights on? God's new glorious creation. A creature that unlike any other before actually bears God's image. A more beautiful creature, you. This is our story. And this is where evil enters the picture. Because check this out. Revelation chapter 12 continues. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Verse 17. Then the dragon went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Who's he talking about here? Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. In other words, if you want to wound the heart of an all-powerful, loving father, how do you do it? You target the children. You target those mini icons we learned about. You target those who bear that Father's image. Folks, this is the context of the story you and I find ourselves in. Born from the laughter of the Trinity, made in God's image, made for love and joy and glory. We are now subject to evil. In fact, targets of the evil one. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it very plainly. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy who is bent on our destruction. In other words, when we took the fruit from the serpent here, right? we in essence were choosing Lucifer and his ways over the Trinity. In fact, at that moment, Genesis tells us that all of creation was now under a curse. Thorns, thistles, pain and childbearing, tsunamis, earthquakes, floods. All these things are the result of the fall. The first fall, Lucifer being cast down, falling onto earth. And the second fall, that is when we similarly chose to agree with the serpent. I will be like God. Not God's will be done, but my will be done, which is the way many of us live still to this day. And and so we're starting to see now that, that the problem of evil, it's not about God's lack of power. No, actually, it's more about His abundance of love. How how does that work? Listen to the way that, that Christian author Philip Yancey put it. He says, Power can do everything but the most important thing. It cannot control love. In a concentration camp, the guards possess almost unlimited power. By applying force, they can make you renounce your God, curse your family, work without pay, eat human excrement kill and then bury your closest friend or even your mother. All this is within their power. Only one thing is not they cannot force you to love them. This fact may help explain why God sometimes seems to shy to use His power. He created us to love Him, but His most impressive displays of miracle, the kind we secretly long for, do nothing to foster this love. He wants His creatures to choose to love Him. As Douglas John Hall put it, God's problem isn't that God is not able to do certain things. God's problem is that God loves. Love complicates the life of God as it complicates every life. See, God's not a robot, nor does he want robots, rather God wants us to freely choose Him, trust Him, love Him, believe Him, embrace Him in spite of all we see that may otherwise suggest that maybe His heart isn't so good, maybe He's not out for my good. maybe He doesn't know everything, maybe I know better. See, God has good in store for you. Do you believe that? Seriously, God can be trusted. One of the major reasons why we don't trust God is because we actually believe in God, but we don't believe in our, in the enemy. Uh, uh, we don't believe that there's an enemy out for our souls. But John 10.10, 10, Jesus is saying, you know what, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That, that can serve as our memory verse for the week. Uh, think, do me a favor right now, just think of all the pain in your life. Some of you have stories, lives full of pain and tragedy. Just even my time here, just getting to know some of you and hearing your story, it's just, it breaks the heart. You, you, you know something about tragedy and pain and struggle, relational pain, like divorce. Or, or maybe you 've been touched by things of uh, that, that God never intended you to experience things like cancer and loss, infertility, sexual abuse. God never intended these things for you you need to you need to hear that. All of these things are here because we are fallen creatures living in a fallen, broken world. C.S. Lewis actually said, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. See, friends, there's this eternal story that has been going on behind the story of our day-to-day, everyday lives. And the truth is, we have a diabolical enemy who has defied God to his face and broken from his community, and sworn in no uncertain terms, you and I, we are enemies. I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth. As far as I am able, I will ruin your incarnation. By striking at the heart of each one of us, Lucifer's goal is to lure us away from this dance of God, to lure us away from the hopes and the dreams and the love and the goodness and the glory of God and somehow pierce the Father's heart. And and, and I wonder if you really believe that. How does that sound to you? Does it sound like a bunch of hocus-pocus uh, or could it be possible that there's more going on than than even our minds can conceive of? Charles Baldaire, he was this poet and mentor to T. S. Eliot. He said, "The devil's cleverest wile, his greatest trick, is to conceive uh, is to convince us that he does not exist." Some of you actually recognize this. That's the last line from one of my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects. Right. And, and my guess is that many of you are all over the map on this thing. And, and, and I don't want to freak you out. That's, that's not my intention here. That's, the purpose of this message is not to spook you or, or to suggest that there's a demon behind every tree, right? That's actually the other mistake that people make. They see demons and the devil everywhere. You know, every scraped knee, every every missed parking spot. Oh, you know, ah, ah the devil, the enemy. You know, The, the devil made me do it. You know, that, that, that's, that's not what's going on here. That's actually an egregious error the other way, right? But maybe, maybe there's actually some sort of balance here. Maybe there's a balance like the one that John Eldridge, Christian author and speaker, uh, suggests as he does here. I am staggered by the level of naivete that most people live with regarding evil. They don't take it seriously. N- not the devil prancing about in red tights carrying a pitchfork but the incarnation of the very worst of every enemy you've met. Life is very confusing if you do not take into account that there is a villain, that you, my friend, have an enemy. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you have a real and fierce enemy of your soul? And that he's sworn on keeping you separated from the goodness and love and life of God. Again, I'm not suggesting here a demon behind every corner. But believing in God, that's only half the story. You understand this, don't you? Uh, Believing the other half makes a world of difference. Detective, what if I told you that God and the Devil made a wager? kind of a standing bet for the souls of all mankind. I told you to stay in your meds. Humor me. No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Okay, I'm humoring you. Why? Who knows. Maybe just for the fun of it. No telling. Oh, so it's fun. It's fun when a man beats his wife to death. fun when a mother drowns her own baby and you think the devil is responsible. People are evil, Mr. Constantine. People. You're right. We're born capable of terrible things. Then sometimes something else comes along. This is just the right nudge. Well, this has been real educational, but I don't believe in the devil. You should. He believes in you, The devil believes in you. The greatest trick the devil, devil ever pulled was convincing everyone that he doesn't exist. You know, the, these aren't just clever lines from movies. And and, and honestly, it, it, honestly, my my greatest fear today is that is that you know all this theological ground that we've covered, and I I know, we've done a lot, right? Revelation, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Genesis. I'm afraid that all this theological ground that we've covered, I'm afraid that it just stays that. Just just this sort of philosophical, almost academic exercise of the devil and, and theodicy and everything that goes bump in the night. But you know, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. See, folks... This stuff affects every day of our lives. My wife Erica, uh, my wife Erica and I, we, we know a little bit about this from experience. And, and my wife in particular, she's had uh, first-hand experience with, with what it's like to actually go through this stuff, living in a broken world. With an enemy dead set against those who hold to the testimony of Jesus, as we just read in Revelation. Some of you know, see some of you in here. Uh, my wife Erica had uh, she had two older sisters and lost them both when they were in their early twenties. Uh, her eldest sister was 23 when she died. She actually committed suicide. And her other older sister was 22. And suicide as well. I, I don't think that um, a 7-year-old girl, an 11-year-old girl, is supposed to go through something like that. I don't think that's like God's plan. Like that, I don't think that's the, the love and goodness we keep talking about. And uh, as you can imagine, those are, those are life-changing events. And it radically alters your perspective on, on everything, on, on life, faith, on God on evil and, and just what life in this world is all about. It's, it's actually not something you ever get over. Ever. And, uh, you know, it, it goes without saying, no, no religious platitude, and, and in my younger days I actually tried to help her through this, relig- you know, just, this, no religious formula can fully heal this. There's there's no easy spiritual answer that can explain why, or, or that, that 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 can help you fully absorb the loss. As a matter of fact, for for most of my wife's life, and 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 even to this day, for her parents especially, and, and a lot of this is a cultural thing, and, and my heart breaks because of this. A lot of this, you know, just her parents especially, they would just kind of explain it away almost dismiss it like like oh it's a you know, tragic accident you know and, and, and that's actually when and if they would actually acknowledge it they for the most part they they didn't want to acknowledge it you know they moved and went to a different church and, and all that stuff and you see because in Asian culture that's this is like you know you don't speak of such things this is very shameful you know I, you know what what did you do that caused this you know you must be horrible parents or something and Or, or sometimes it was just kind of stoically denied. Like, uh, no, no, we just, we just have one daughter, one, one child. That's enough for us. And so my wife is growing up through this. <laughs> Do you know, Erica and I have. Uh, been processing this together now for 12 years, and uh, she for the past 22. And there's never any way to fully explain or understand or come to terms with such a thing. So many factors involved, right? And some of you know this, you know, whether we're talking about depression or stress or divorce or biochemical emotional factors or family dynamics, whatever, you, you know this, you know that None of those things can simply be, you know, defined and, and, and sought out and, and singled out as, as, as the one reason why this is all happening. You, you can't ever single out the reason why bad things happen to seemingly good people. And yet my wife, who is, uh, Erica's probably the most, the best practical theologian I know. She actually, uh, she actually says to me one day, Tom, we really do live in an incredibly broken world with a real enemy who is intent to truly steal kill, and destroy. And and she was saying to me later on how, how things don't always package nice and neatly even after the storm. But that she couldn't stop believing in God. That She knows that she sees this one part of the picture. And that's all she sees. But she knows that there's got to be this bigger part, this bigger picture of God. I'm sorry. She says, I know that there's a good and loving God. who works tragedy for good, even when it's not obvious to us. Just like the way he did when when his own son died. You see, see, God actually enters into that pain. God actually knows what it's like to hurt. That's the kind of God we have. He allowed his son to die in order to fix and repair and redeem all the brokenness that we see. She was saying that that's her hope. Folks, that is an incredible perspective to hold, isn't it? Just an incredible hope. I can't believe I have to do this two more times. I I I, I thought I got over it in the first service. But you know, I mean, even this whole thing with life groups, I mean, this... This is why we do life groups. This is why we enter the community of God. You're going to wrestle with this reality this week during the during the groups, and the question is, what what do you believe about evil and why this world is so messed up? And I understand this. That's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for you, but just just kind of think of me sobbing here, and it won't get any worse, right? But we're asking you to do this because we are confident that it will stimulate some profound and practical, dare I say, even life-changing, life-saving discussions and relationships for the better. Because you know what? You are not alone. You were conceived in love. And there is a God who redeems and He has come for you and this church is here for you and we care whatever battles you are facing. We want to encourage you to be open and honest in your life groups. What do you have to lose, really? You have everything to gain as you continue to put your faith in this story the story of God, which ultimately points to the one Jesus Christ who is truly mighty to save. Let's stand together, won't you? Let's invite him in his presence here. Father, you have not given us a spirit of fear but of faith and love and a sound mind. And we are not unaware of our enemy and his schemes. So Lord, we want to invite the power and authority of your Son, Jesus Christ, into the place of our life, into the hearts of every man and woman here. Thank you for being stronger than death. Thank you that you are a God who is moved by our pain and has done everything Something about it by sending your son, your own son, Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for coming into the earth to enemy-occupied territory to proclaim freedom to every captive and to restore a relationship with God. We worship you now. We thank you in advance. We are falling in love with you all the more. May your Holy Spirit fill us up.